Our passage today is from Psalm 73, verses 23 through 28. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Josh Havman. I am the executive pastor at Grace. And this morning, we are going to talk about our rock of refuge, Jesus. In ages past and even today, sometimes people will greet you on Easter by saying, He is risen, and there is a response. Do you guys know what it is? If I say, He is risen, you would say, Yeah, so you know. Good job. Well done. I may call on you later in the sermon. So stay awake a little longer. Christians have used this call and response, this password almost, to recognize other Christians because they have a hope in a resurrected Savior. And resurrection is so very important because death is so very real. And for many of us, this is a fact that we don't have to live with, we choose not to live with for most of our lives. But if you have had someone close to you die recently, someone maybe who is too young, someone who you are not ready to say goodbye to, you know how serious and how lasting death is. And so it is so very important that our hope be in a savior who has defeated death because otherwise that's it. It just ends. Life ends. There's nothing left. And so we have a refuge in a risen savior. He is risen indeed. And that is a truly awesome thing. The last couple of weeks here at Grace, we've been teaching through the Psalms. And uh, two weeks ago, I talked about Psalm 13. And David in that Psalm is crying out to God. And he encourages us through his model to cry out to God in our suffering and not to just continue to suffer in silence, which is, it's a temptation. There are lots of reasons why we're tempted to suffer in silence. One of them is that we just have a bad relationship with suffering in our culture. We don't know how to do it well. And so David says, cry out to God. He wants to hear from you. In fact, cry out in the congregation with your brothers and sisters. Let them know that you are struggling because God has given you each other to support and encourage you. And tell each other what God has done for you because that's an important part of this as well. And then last week I said, Listen, I know that you might have done this. It might not have gone well. It might have gone poorly, in fact. People might have told you to stop crying. Just stop sharing your suffering. I don't want to hear that. Sometimes we'll say that to each other with no kindness and with no love. And so we do need Jesus, right? We need Jesus as the model, the suffering servant, the one who goes before us and says, here is what you can have. You can have life in Christ. You can have life in God. You can have everlasting life. And so he saves us from our sin. He shows us the way. He shows us a kingdom that is to come and that is waiting. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 73. We're going to look at John, and we're going to see how Jesus offers us a choice to believe. 
And it might be difficult, but this is a choice. It's an either-or proposition. We don't really like either-or propositions, right? How many of you have been to a buffet? That is the rejection of an either-or proposition. That is a yes-please, right? An and-also proposition. But Jesus gives us an either-or proposition. He says, choose one or choose the other. And those who don't believe, those who choose not to believe, stand condemned. We're going to read in John 3 where Jesus says that this morning. And those who choose to believe have life. So we're going to look at that proposition this morning that Jesus offers us. And we're going to, we're going to compel you, we're going to ask you to believe. Because we want you to have life. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being our risen Lord and Savior. We praise you that you are indeed risen, that we have this everlasting hope. Not just hope for tomorrow or hope for circumstances, Lord, that will change, but hope for everlasting life. It's a hope that doesn't make sense any other way but with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be present here, that your Holy Spirit would be present here, Lord Let none of my words matter this morning, but only let your spirit be at work, I ask. In your name, amen. So what? What should we choose to believe? How about the gospel? The good news story that God is good and made the world good and humanity sinned, and that's why we have suffering and death, but that he sent his son to live a sinless life and that by believing in him, we can have everlasting life with him. That's The gospel, that's the good news story. Jesus is killed on a cross. He's crucified for our sake. He rises again from the dead. He is risen. Slow, let's try. We'll just practice. He is risen. And he's alive. And so that's the good news story. And if you've heard that in any church, right, it is really all you need. And so you're thinking, great, that's good. The ham's almost done anyway. Let's get home. There's more. Why is there more? Because the choice is a hard choice. Even though this is the truth and we hear that it's the truth and I'm telling you it's the truth and other people have told you it's the truth, it's hard to believe as the truth. Why? Why? Because there's sin in the world. Because there are evil people who do evil things and the wicked people get away with their wickedness. And this is what's going on in Psalm 73. The psalmist Asaph, he is writing and he says, I see people getting away with wickedness all the time and it makes me want to disbelieve that God is at work in the world. He says, uh, as for me, Psalm 73 verse 2, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's hard to believe the truth of the gospel when you see people doing bad things and getting away with it. It's hard to believe that God is real, that he actually cares about you and the people that you love die. Because it's not just... It's not just that wicked people get away with wickedness. It's that evil is everywhere in the world. And eventually, Asaph says, I I come to this conclusion that I've kept my heart and my my hands clean um, in vain, that it was for no good, because the evil is everywhere. He says in verse 6, there are people who wear pride and violence like jewelry and clothing. There are people who boast of their violence. There are people who boast of their pride. Have you ever met a proud person that is proud of their pride? They say, look at me, right? Almost literally sometimes. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. There are people who wear their violence in the same way they adorn themselves with it. They are aggressive and they are mean and they take pleasure in that. 
There are people who speak malice and threaten oppression all over the world, all the time. There's rampant wickedness in the world. It is hard to believe the truth when we see evil everywhere. And then ultimately, there are people who go about claiming that God knows nothing. People who do this wickedness, right? People who are engaged in evil acts, they say, clearly there's no God. If there was a God, he would have stopped me by now. I'm going to keep doing whatever it is I'm doing. That is one way in which people claim that God must know nothing. But also us, the psalmist, us included, when we see this evil and it is impacting us, we can feel like God must know nothing because otherwise he would have done something about it. So the psalmist says, I tried to understand this and it seemed to me a wearisome task. Like this is just fruitless. I'm just going to beat my head against a wall if I keep trying to figure out what's going on here. It's just going to make me upset. Until, he said, I went to the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. He's talking about wicked people. So congratulations, you all came to the sanctuary of God this morning. So you get to find out what the answer is too. You ready? It's not on this slide. It's on the next slide. If you've been in church ever, it is likely that you've heard John 3.16. Even if you haven't gone to church and you've just watched a football game and there's a guy with a sign in the stands that says John 3.16, you might have thought, hmm, I wonder what that verse says, right? It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When we see wickedness in the world and we want to know where is God and what is he doing, this is Jesus' response to that question. This whole section of scripture here in John is a result of a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is this Jewish man who comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, who are you? What are you doing? We see that you're doing amazing signs and so we know that you must be from God because nobody could do the signs you do if, you're not, if they're not from God. But who are you really? What are you doing here? And this is Jesus' response. He says, I am here to offer salvation to whoever believes in me. So this is what God is doing about wickedness in the world. He is sending his son for God did not send his son verse 17 into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's what God is doing about wickedness in the world. He's trying to save us from it. He wants us to have eternal life. He wanted us to have eternal life with him in the beginning. He made us good. He made us very good and we chose sin. And we continue to choose sin, and he knows that. He knows that we continue to choose sin. So he doesn't call us to just do good things. Instead, he says, believe in the name of my only son, because he can do what you cannot. But you have to believe. Look at what Jesus says in verse 318. We don't talk about this one nearly as much. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then Jesus goes on to describe to Nicodemus what you can expect from people who are living in the light and people who are living in the darkness. But verse 18 is the proposition. It's the either or. We've cut down all of our options now. We know that what God is doing in the world is offering us a choice, and this is the choice. Here's what it looks like from a couple of different places in scripture, this either or proposition. In John 3.18, which we just read, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's one way to put this. In Psalm 73, we see the same proposition put a different way. It says, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. 
You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Faithfulness here is not just a sometimes I come, sometimes I don't sort of thing, right? Sometimes we come to church, sometimes we don't. No, what he's talking about here is faithlessness, right? Not having faith, not believing. So you put an end to everyone who doesn't believe. For me, psalmist says, it's good to be near God, and I've made the Lord God my refuge. I have run to the rock of refuge so that I can tell of all of your works. I want to be, the psalmist says, I want to be where you are, Lord, and I want others to be there too, and I know that if I am in the safe place of you, then I can share what you have done with me. So that's from Psalm 73. Here's Jesus again in John chapter 20 telling Thomas very directly, do not disbelieve, but believe. The reason it says 27b there is just the second half of the verse. But you probably know this part of the story as well, and we're going to read this part of the story later this morning, where Jesus is showing Thomas, he's showing him the wounds in his hands where he was nailed to the cross, and he says, don't disbelieve, but believe. And just to prove to you all that I'm not putting too fine a point on it, this is not just like my emphasizing of this verse. I'll give you a couple of different versions of this verse. Uh, From the ESV, it's don't disbelieve but believe. But from the NIV, it's stop doubting and believe. And from the New Living Translation, don't be faithless any longer, believe. And King James, do not be unbelieving but believing. This is Jesus saying this to Thomas, his disciple, We all, if we are disciples of Jesus, have maybe read his words or we've come to church or we've listened. But Thomas is somebody who actually physically walked with Jesus and spent his time with Jesus. And it was still difficult for him to believe. So I understand that, right? I understand from Thomas. I understand from my own life. I understand it is difficult to believe. And yet, that's what it comes down to is this either or. If you are a Christian now, today, you might be thinking, how is this for me? I'm not, I'm not one of those people who doesn't believe. I do believe. So maybe the first part here, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe that applies to you. But maybe you've been coming to church for years and you've never acknowledged Jesus actually as your Lord. You've never allowed him to be your king. You're glad that he's your Savior. You're so glad that you don't have to suffer uh, for eternity. But imagine this. Imagine this, you get to spend eternity with Jesus because he has saved you. Don't you think he's going to ask you when you come, why was I never Lord of your life? So choose today to make him Lord of your life. If you already believe, excellent. Is he your Lord? Is he someone that you want to make disciples of? Uh, for. Do you want to make disciples for Jesus and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach others to obey all that Jesus has commanded? That's what he tells his disciples to do. The end of Matthew, Jesus is ascending into heaven and he says, do this. And you say, well, which commands, Jesus? I mean, that's kind of heavy. Well, how about this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Just start there. If you get all of those done, let me know and I'll give you other homework. Do this, right? If you are a believer and you've been a believer for many, many years and you've never been baptized, be baptized. Not because it saves you, but because it shows others what God has done in your life. If you've never made him Lord of your life, make him Lord of your life. Be willing to give up whatever he asks you to give up because you can't keep anything in this life anyway. There's a a missionary, Jim Elliott, who died 
who gave up his life. And he said, the man who realizes this is no fool, that you, that you give up, right, what you can't keep to earn what you can't lose. That's what salvation is. Giving up what you can't keep to earn what you can't lose. So make this choice. And if you haven't believed in Jesus, make this choice. Because those who don't believe stand condemned. So you're going to ask, right? People are going to ask if you try to share this with other people. Why are people condemned if they don't believe? That seems really harsh that just by not believing the right thing, for some reason I'm condemned. Jesus answers that question this way in John 3.18. Whoever does not believe is condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So what's so great about the name of Jesus? Why believe in this Jesus? Why believe in that name? That name, Jesus, it means Yahweh saves. They would not have pronounced Jesus, Jesus in his day, right? They would have said Yeshua and they would have said it with an accent that I probably cannot approximate because I don't speak Aramaic. But they would have said Yeshua and that would have meant to them Yahweh, the God of Israel, saves. Here's how Paul puts it in Philippians. It says, being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's why people are condemned if they don't believe because this is the God who saves. So if you don't believe in God, if you have chosen not to have life, then you have chosen death. That's what an either-or proposition is. Either you have chosen life or you have chosen death. So that's what it means to stand condemned, is to choose death, to reject the Lord. But if you do choose him, you do have life. What evidence should we build our faith on? I'm going to turn to John chapter 11 here in a minute. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, I'm going to turn to John chapter 11. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead so that we would believe. Jesus raises himself from the dead so that we would believe. John says, I wrote this book, right? These things are written, it says in John 20, 31, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So these things here are the evidence that you should build your faith on. But not just these things. He also gives us all of these lives in here which is why I said earlier, and I'm going to say again, if he has saved you, tell other people what he has done. Tell them your story. Tell them how God has been faithful to you because God wants to use that as evidence for other people to build their faith on. So let's turn to John chapter 11. This is the story of Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the dead. Think about this. Imagine if Jesus had died and he rose from the dead and there was never any other instance, never any other example of him raising somebody from the dead. You can imagine that people would say, oh, I would imagine that maybe uh, his disciples stole his body or he never actually died. And in fact, people have already said those things. People have already made those claims about Jesus that he didn't actually rise from the dead. And Jesus knew that that would happen. He said, so let me provide you with some evidence beforehand, right beforehand, that I can raise people from the dead. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany is the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It's Mary who anoints the Lord with ointment and wipes his feet with her hair. That's whose brother Lazarus 
was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, the man whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Lazarus is going to die, but what Jesus is saying here is that he is not going to stay dead. I'm going to glorify myself through him. I'm going to show you who I am through him. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer, and then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews there are seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, there are 12 hours in a day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He's referring back to what he said in John chapter three, that if you are going to do what is right, you have to walk as God directs. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I must go awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. And Jesus was speaking of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest. So Jesus said plainly, no, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. But Thomas, Thomas, who's called the twin, says to his fellow disciples, yeah, let's go with him so we can die with him. Thomas is struggling to believe. And he will continue to struggle right up until he sees Jesus. And we'll read about that in a minute. So Jesus came and he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went in to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She says, I know, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Jesus gives us this example of rising Lazarus, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. And he's going to go on here in John chapter 11 to command a stone to be rolled away from the tomb, just like his own stone will be rolled away. And he calls him by name. He says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out and he demonstrates his power. And what that leads to is all of the people around him seeing the proposition clearly. I'm going to skip down to verse 45 here. In chapter 11, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They chose to believe. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. What is our choice? Do we choose to recognize he has life or do we choose death? And they choose death. And they conspire against Jesus from that day. So Jesus gives us the example of Lazarus and then he gives us the example of himself. So I'm going to turn a couple pages over here to John chapter 20. It's Easter morning. Let's read the account of Jesus rising from the dead. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken from the tomb. Now she should know, right? She just saw what happened. She knows that Jesus has the power but she still lives in a wicked world and she's still tempted by sin in this world. And so she's doubting. 
She runs to get Simon Peter and the other disciple, to whom Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. She still doesn't know what's going on. So Peter goes out and John, and they both run, and Peter outruns John, or John outruns Peter, but he waits and he stands there. And then Peter reaches the tomb and he stoops down and he looks in and he sees the cloth, it says in verse 7, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded up like somebody took it and laid it there. And then John, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also goes in, he sees, and then he believes, but he still doesn't understand. And they go back to their homes, but Mary stands there weeping, and then she encounters Jesus. She sees angels, and they say to her, woman, why are you waiting? And she says to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And then saying this, she turns around and sees Jesus, but doesn't know it's him. And then Jesus calls her by name. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thinks he's the gardener. She says, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. She loves him so much that even in his death, she just wants to take care of his body. And he says to her, Mary. He calls her by name. Just like he called Lazarus by name and brought him back from death, he calls Mary by name and she is able to turn and choose life. And you might think, how do I know when he's calling my name? If that's actually going to happen, do I need to wait for Jesus to like audibly be in my head and say my name? Some people describe the experience that way. But many, many other people just hear what the Lord has done in lives like yours and like mine. And so if this morning you are hearing what the Lord has done, know that this is your opportunity to choose life. He is giving you this choice. Thomas does not take the word of his fellow disciples. Thomas does not believe them. Skipping down to verse 24 in John chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with the, the disciples when Jesus came the first time. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to him, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it at my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas was overwhelmed by the cares of this world. He saw evil people flourishing. He saw them trying to kill Jesus and then succeed in killing Jesus. And he was afraid for his own life. And Jesus says, look, I have the power over life and death. Stop disbelieving and believe. I have everlasting life. So if that evidence isn't compelling, if Jesus rising from the dead and Lazarus rising from the dead, if that's not convincing you today that you need to believe in Jesus, I'm going to offer you one more thing. Just run to the Lord. Just run to the rock of refuge. Psalm 73, which we read as we started this morning, says, Nevertheless, regardless of what's going on, whether evil people are winning or not, whether I see you working, God, or not, nevertheless, I am continually with you, the psalmist says. You hold my right hand. What happens if you give up your dominant hand? If you've ever injured your, your hand, that's your dominant hand, right, right or left, doesn't matter, if you've ever injured that hand, it becomes almost impossible to do most of the things that you're used to doing, right? 
If you lose any sort of mobility, if you're used to being able to walk and you lose a leg or a foot just to a minor injury, right? It can throw off your whole life. And here the psalmist is saying, God, I want you to take my dominant hand. I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. I just, I need you. I can't do this. Sometimes the evidence is not compelling to me, so I'm just going to run to you. You are a rock. You are a refuge. I'm just going to run to you. Because whom have I in heaven beside you? There's nothing on earth I desire beside you. I'm just going to go to you and let you take control, God, because you made me. You know me better than I know myself. So if the evidence isn't compelling, know that God is offering his grace and that you can just take a hold of it. And if you are hearing this this morning, if you are here and this is affecting you at all, consider that he is touching your soul and that you can turn it over to him. That is a choice for you this morning. So if you have life, you also have eternal salvation. Look what else it says here in Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Because we will fail, right? There will be times when our bodies break down, when we are tempted and we give in to temptation and we choose what we know we shouldn't choose. That's going to happen. But God is the strength of our heart and he is our portion forever. Here's the choice one more time. If we're far from God, we're going to perish. If we're unfaithful to God, we stand condemned. But it's good for us to be near to God. We want him to be our refuge. If you believe, you have life. And it's because you've chosen Jesus. So act as if this is true. If you have been a Christian forever, right? Tell of all that God has done for you. Tell your story again and again and again. If you have overcome alcoholism because of the Lord's work in your life. Tell people. If God has saved you out of adulterous relationships, then tell people. If God has been at work in your family for generations, if, like me, your father's mother died in her 60s from cancer, and then your father's sister died in her 50s from another long-term illness, and then your own daughter gets cancer, survives, praise the Lord, but gets cancer, and then your sister gets cancer, if that is your story, like it's my story, then tell people that God has been faithful to you through all of that. Tell them how your sister, who is still in her 30s and who has breast cancer right now, is praising the Lord because of what God is doing in her life and through this cancer. Tell people. They need to hear that. Because that's who Jesus is. That's what he's doing. He wants you to share this. He wants you to run to his rock, his refuge, so that you can share this with other people and they can know and they can see what God is doing. And teach others to obey his commands. Again, just start with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just start there. Forget about loving your neighbor as yourself, right? They're terrible anyway. We don't like our neighbors. No, I'm just kidding. Do love your neighbor. Do love your neighbor. But just do that. Just love God and love your neighbor and see what he does but choose to believe actively and seek to save the souls that are dying. If you know, especially if you know how serious and how permanent death is, don't, don't let another day go without seeking to save the souls that are dying. And if you are dying, I invite you to repent of your sin. And I did say that grace is a free gift, but you do have to repent. And all that means is that you have to turn around, right? It's a choice. It's an either or choice. And repent means turn your back on what you've been doing and go the other way. 
So stop choosing death and start choosing life and put your hope and faith in a risen Lord and Savior. Accept the free gift of salvation and choose to live. If you are dying today, choose to live. And if you don't know how to take the next step, come and talk to me after the service. Talk to any one of our volunteers, any one of our staff people that has a name tag on. We want to pray with you. We want to help you make that choice. There are cards in the seat backs that say, I believe. If you choose to believe, fill one of those out and we'll talk to you. If you don't want to talk to us on the phone because that's scary, then we'll email you, right? But choose to live. Talk to us today. So I said there are those cards. You can fill out those cards. And there's also this. We're going to have baptism class for a couple of weeks here. If you have never been baptized, get baptized. Not because it saves you, but because it tells other people what God has done in your life. It's an outward sign of an inward change. And it's just a testimony. It's just a story, an opportunity to tell people what God has done in your life. But choose to live because he has risen. This side wins. He has risen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I praise you for your resurrection. I praise you for this gift of eternal life. I praise you, Lord, that we don't have to choose to die, but we can choose to live. Lord, the temptation to choose death is real. It's strong because there is wickedness in this world and it overwhelms us. Thank you, Lord, that you have overcome the world. Thank you that you have overcome death. God, we have everlasting life in you. I pray that we would cling to that, that we would share it widely and freely and that we would love others with the same love that you loved us. Help us today when we are weak. Help us to be strong in you, just to hold your hand and run to you. You are a rock of refuge. In your name, Jesus, amen. Have a good week. Go in grace.